What are decentralized autonomous organizations and how are they disrupting traditional business structures? Black and white. You're listening to Black and White, a podcast by Satya Law. I'm Wen Jian, co-founder of Satya Law, and in each episode, we'll be discussing current legal issues with a focus on finance and tech. Join us as we discover how these developments impact business, finance, and the legal industry. For today's episode, I'm joined by Stanley Tan, an associate with Satya Law. Stanley graduated from the National University of Singapore Faculty of Law with first-class honours. Since coming into private practice, Stanley has been actively building a specialist disputes practice that focuses on digital technology, web tree, and disputes relating to cyberspace. He joins us today to share some insights on decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs. Hello, Stanley. Thanks for being here. Hi, Wenchen. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about today's episode because we are going to be talking about a topic that I'm really, really interested in. It's about DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. So let's kick things off by having you explain to our listeners what is a DAO. Well, a DAO is basically a decision-making body. A DAO makes decisions through a voting process involving its members, where any member can put up a proposal to be voted upon and enacted if a sufficient majority is reached. DAOs have many purposes. For example, a DAO can be used to make business decisions or a DAO can also be used to run a virtual platform. Some examples include uh, Decentraland, right, which is a virtual world that many public companies are advertising their products in and where many users are actually interacting with each other on this platform. Okay, so how does one get to participate in a DAO? It depends on how a DAO is actually designed. Today, one of the more common ways that one you know, actually can become a member and participate in a DAO is to purchase a cryptocurrency token that is associated with a DAO. To give a real-life example, the virtual world that I mentioned earlier, Decentraland, is a virtual world that has its own tokens or crypto tokens known as MANA, M-A-N-A, or LAND, L-A-N-D, which can be purchased on many of the established cryptocurrency exchanges. So I can, for example, go on an exchange and buy one token of mana, and that will make me a member of essentially the Decentraland DAO, where I can you know, put up proposals to be voted on by the Decentraland community. And if I manage, for example, to get sufficient votes, then my proposal will be enacted. What makes DAO so unique? How is it, for example, different from a traditional form of a company or a partnership? Right, so a DAO is unique because of its structure and its decision-making process. We're all familiar with companies, right? The structure of a modern company involves shareholders and directors. So shareholders own and fund the company and they also elect directors to run the company and make decisions for the company. The modern company in the past was instrumental in spurring economic growth, right? Because it enabled people to pull together resources to undertake ventures that would otherwise be too expensive or risky for any individual to bear, right? So for example, the famous East India Company established in the 1600s to finance overseas trade expeditions through the spreading of the financial burden and limiting the liability of its numerous shareholders. But there are a lot of complaints about modern companies that we hear of today. 
One frequent complaint is the opacity in the decision-making process by the directors of the company. Another frequent complaint is the lack of a sense of ownership on the part of employees and an overemphasis on short-term profits just to satisfy the shareholders' demands. These complaints are actually less prevalent in a DAO, right? because a DAO has no shareholders or directors. It only has members. And all decisions are made through a transparent voting process where any member can put up proposals to be voted upon and enacted if a sufficient majority is reached. As DAOs often engage and pay for services by issuing its native tokens. For example, I can you know, say, oh, I can do this for the DAO and put up a proposal and the DAO will pay me in their own native crypto token. So there's often an incentive for me to perform well so that when I get paid with these tokens, if the platform is improved, then the value of those tokens will be increased as well. There's also less focus on short-term profits because DAOs, unlike companies, do not pay out dividends and the value of the token that you hold is actually tied to the long-term value of the business that the DAO is engaged in. Yeah, but since we are lawyers, there is one important feature about DAO that I'm sure we are all particularly interested in. It lies in the fact that unlike companies, DAO may not necessarily be treated as a separate legal entity, correct? You're right, Wenchen. So a DAO actually is a relatively new phenomenon, and there haven't been any cases that shed light on the legal status of a DAO. I am aware that in the United States, for example, some states like Tennessee have enacted local legislations that recognize DAOs as separate legal entities. But these legislations have actually a specific registration requirement. So if a DAO is unregistered, it will not be recognized as a separate legal entity. That's a real challenge for lawyers like us who deal a lot with cryptocurrency type cases. Like in many of our cases, Stanley, we come across exchanges which are operated by DAOs. There are not necessarily any corporate entities behind these exchanges. And very often the challenge we face is figuring out who to sue, how to sue, where to sue. I mean, because they're not companies, we are really dealing with a very new form of structure here. So what can you share with us about what ideas do you have regarding bringing a claim against a DAO? You're right, there is a concern that if it's not an entity or in and of itself, how do we hold a DAO responsible? Right? So one way that we can do this is to mount the argument that a DAO is a general partnership, where basically all its members can be described to be carrying on a business in common with a view of profit, which is the legal definition of a partnership for those who are not legally trained. So it might be possible for one to sue a DAO as a general partnership and hold all the members of a DAO liable, right? So to give you a hypothetical situation, if a DAO with five members runs a business and causes loss to a customer, that customer can probably mount a claim against the DAO and seek to hold all five members who wronged him personally liable. However, you know, in this modern world where cryptocurrency tokens can be bought and sold on the market, it might not make a lot of sense if a DAO has thousands of members spread across multiple jurisdictions, right? Are you really going to mount a claim naming each and every single member of a DAO? Obviously, it makes very little sense to sue all the members of a DAO if we are talking about DAO that has thousands of members around the globe. So in those kind of cases, which we have seen time and time again, how would one seek relief? That's a great question, Wenjen. So instead of suing every single member of a DAO, the alternative is actually to sue key members of a DAO, right? So when a DAO is made up of so many members, they will often task a select few to enact the proposals that have been passed. 
And these select few members will have the ability to essentially alter the platform. And therefore, if one wants to seek recourse against the DAO, suing these members may make the most sense. There is one challenge though, because the holders of the cryptocurrencies are often not identified or not easily identifiable. So how do we go about identifying who are the key members of a DAO? One way to identify key members of a DAO is simply to visit the website, right? Because some DAOs publicize who these key members are. If these key members are named, then simply commence an action against them. But if not, what has to be done is to perhaps commence an action against persons unknown. So maybe for the benefit of our listeners, a claim against persons unknown basically is a type of claim where you don't have to name the specific defendant you're pursuing, but you can give a broad description of the defendant that you're pursuing. So for example, sometimes in some of these DAO, they will on their website name a few individuals as the key token holders, but instead of identifying them with their real identity, they will just name them using their Web3 profile, for example, an avatar like Spider-Man 220. So you can bring a person's unknown claim, and instead of identifying the defendant, you can just describe the defendant as, for example, the individual behind the identity, quote-unquote, Spider-Man 220. That's right. That's exactly what we did in the CLM and CLN case where we named persons unknown to our claim. Yeah, and that's an interesting claim because that was a claim brought against an unidentified group of people who were behind a certain fraud, right? So the same principle that allows claims like that to be pursued can potentially allow claims to be pursued against DAO members or DAO token holders whose identity are not easily ascertainable. Besides this, any other options? Besides targeting the members of a DAO who is able to alter the platform or alter the system, another option is to sue or target members with a high proportion of the DAO's tokens. Right? This is because there might be an argument that a DAO is really just a general partnership where members can be held jointly and severally liable for the liabilities of the DAO. And in this situation, you want to go after the member with the most assets. Right. That's another interesting point because at the end of the day, when we bring claims, the clients, most of them anyway, they want monetary recovery. So why not just target the richest token holder? Say, for example, Elon Musk hold one token in a particular DAO and he's just one of 2,000, 3,000 DAO members. I would want to sue him. Can we do that? Well, wow. that's an interesting question. I think it's possible, Wenjian, but I think the challenge is that you must first be able to prove that Elon Musk is the person holding that one DAO token. It is not easy to do so because DAO tokens usually come in the form of you know, cryptocurrency tokens, which are held in what we call private wallet addresses. And private wallet addresses are anonymous. It's literally just a string of letters and numbers, and we often cannot identify their owners. Therefore, unless you have some other reliable source that shows Elon Musk as the owner of a single DAO token, suing him as a member of a DAO will be challenging. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I don't think courts are generally willing to help plaintiffs who are opportunistic, meaning plaintiffs who selectively sues a DAO token holder just because he or she is wealthy. But are we just talking in hypotheticals here or have there been actual legal proceedings being brought against DAOs? Well, Wenchen, to my knowledge, proceedings have actually been brought against DAOs. An example is, is in the US where a claim was brought against a DAO called BZX. 
Right, this was a case where several members of the DAO commenced a class action lawsuit against the founders of the DAO, who basically was responsible for governance matters. This is because this DAO essentially got hacked and resulted in the theft of over 55 million USD of funds. In seeking to pin liability on basically the key members of the DAO, the plaintiffs in that claim are relying heavily on the argument that the DAO is just a general partnership. And this is actually quite a recent case, because in March 2023, the defendants to this claim actually tried to strike it out. However, the US court actually found that this case was deserving of trial and essentially held that striking out was inappropriate. This actually means that the argument that a DAO is a general partnership is plausible, or at least not bound to fail. This caused quite a stir in the community, as it could mean that anyone who holds a DAO token can find themselves basically embroiled in a lawsuit and actually held liable for the actions of a DAO, even though they didn't vote for a particular proposal that caused the loss. The outcome of this decision is still pending, so we'll all be following the developments of the trial quite closely. That sounds like fantastic development in the law. But let's bring the conversation back to the work we do, Stanley. We often get involved in cryptocurrency recovery cases where we help clients, often victims of fraud or hack, trace their stolen cryptos. And through the tracing exercise, sometimes we trace them to decentralized exchanges. One question that often pops up is, how can we get an order that can effectively compel the exchange to assist in the investigation by giving disclosures? Because if you get an order against a corporate entity, the directors will be obliged to comply. The challenge with decentralized exchanges is we need to figure out who to sue, where to sue. But assuming we cross those obstacles and get an order, we then need to figure out how to enforce the order because this is a case where there is no single entity on whom we can serve the order and compel compliance. How do we enforce that? The members are spread across the globe in most instances. That's a very real concern, Wenchen, because if your stolen money gets deposited with exchanges like Binance or Huopi, there are corporate entities that can help you freeze and recover those assets. But if your stolen money gets deposited in a decentralized exchange where no one entity is actually responsible for its day-to-day -day operations, how do you recover those funds? Well, the answer was alluded to earlier when I mentioned that you can actually look to the key members of a DAO who have the ability to make changes to the platform. This solution was actually recently implemented in the UK, where hackers stole around $200 million from a trading platform, which was all traced to a decentralized platform operated by a DAO called Oasis. The victims went to the English High Court and essentially got an order requiring the Oasis DAO to take all necessary steps that will result in the retrieval of the stolen assets. And once the key members of the DAO saw the order, they essentially took steps to you know, alter the smart contracts on the platform to return all the stolen assets to the victims. Well, Stanley, I think we can go on and on and on talking about DAO, but unfortunately, we have to bring this episode to a close. But before we do so, do DAOs have a future? What do you think? Uh, it's a tricky question, Wenjin, but I think looking at how DAOs have developed, they do have the potential to coexist alongside traditional corporate forms like companies or partnerships. As mentioned earlier, there are many benefits of a DAO that companies do not have. For example, more transparent decision-making and also greater ownership among the members of a DAO. 
right? So in my view, I think DAOs do have a future and might be increasingly popular, especially if the right regulatory framework is implemented to ensure that you don't just get sued because you bought a token of a crypto exchange. So what in your mind should be the right regulatory framework? I think two aspects need to be implemented. The first is to give some certainty as to the legal status of a DAO. Is it a separate legal entity or is it a a general partnership? And the second thing that needs to be done is actually to limit the liability of its members. Because DAOs would only exist if people who want to participate in it would not be at the risk of being sued just because they own one or two tokens of a DAO. If these two aspects are addressed, I think DAOs will become much more popular than they are today. Fantastic, Stanley. Thanks for sharing your thoughts today. Thanks, Renjen. This was great fun. You've been listening to Black and White by Satya Law. Join us in the next episode for more insights on the latest developments in the legal landscape and how they impact us all. Thanks for listening.